Hi, and welcome to the Healthcare Improvement Podcast, brought to you by Healthcare Improvement Scotland, an organisation that enables people to experience the best quality of health and social care. I'm Leona Armstrong. And I'm Kenny Smith. On today's show, we will be talking about frailty. As we age, relatively minor illnesses can have an effect that can significantly impact our lives, leading to longer stays in hospital and resulting in many having to leave their homes and communities for somewhere that provides more care. To better understand what frailty is and the work that's underway to improve the way in which the NHS supports people with frailty, we'll be chatting with Catherine Allen, Lead Elderly Care Assessment Nurse from NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, who'll provide an insight into the experiences of people with frailty, and Doug Anthony, Health and Wellbeing Manager at Age Scotland. We'll also be joined by Professor Graham Ellis, Deputy Chief Medical Officer advising the Scottish Government, and Dr Lara Mitchell. Together, they'll talk more widely about the impact of frailty in Scotland and the practical application of improvements currently underway. I'd like to start today's episode by welcoming to the podcast our first guest, Dr Lara Mitchell, our National Clinical Lead for Frailty and a Consultant Geriatrician for NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde. Welcome, Lara. Hi, Kenny. Lovely to be on here today. Could we maybe start by telling us a wee bit more about what frailty is and its impact? Sure. Frailty is a person's physical and mental resilience to bounce back, to to when something, an acute event happens, such as a urinary tract infection or a chest infection. And, And it can present in five different ways. So we call it frailty syndromes. So it can present as a fall, it can present as decreased mobility, it can present as worsening confusion, what we would call delirium, or a worsening of somebody's dementia, as incontinence or medication-related harms. I think, Kenny, it's really important to say what frailty is not. So it, it, it is not age, and it's not a disability. So people can have a disability but not be frail. So so I think that's an important distinction to make. And I think probably one of the best definitions that I've come across, if it's okay, I can share this with you, is the American Geriatric Society have got a definition for frailty. And I'll just read this out to you because it's a wee bit of a tongue twister. It's a state of increased vulnerability to stressors due to age-related decline in physiology reserve across neuromuscular and immune systems. So it's that, it's it's tying up age-related decline with your physiology reserve. That's really interesting. So what's the impact of frailty and is frailty inevitable? That's a great question. So it's not inevitable, however, We need to look at the statistics. So 50% of people over 85 will live with frailty. And what I would like to say is that frailty is potentially reversible, particularly in the early stages. So that's why it's important that we identify who is frail. Um, and, And that's one of the key things we need to work towards across Scotland is delaying the impact of frailty um, for as long as we can. Um, which means that we've got to look at prevention. So how do we prevent getting frail and look at a strategy for assessing and intervening in in people who are becoming frail? 
The other thing Kenny asked me about was the impact on real people. So what we do know is that if you, when you become frail, older adults have increased, they're the highest users of health and social care is the bottom line. And it costs roughly six billion a year in UK healthcare systems. So so 40% of of admissions, hospital admissions are in people over 65, and they occupy two thirds of hospital inpatient beds. So, so, so that gives you kind of a, a broad brushstrokes of what's going on. Six billion is a far larger figure than I would ever have predicted. That's amazing. So, mm-hmm. thanks for that. That was a very, very thorough explanation. So, maybe Lara, could you tell us a wee bit more about how frailty is recognised? Is there some sort of assessment process, and what happens during this process? Yeah, so I think all too often the early signs of frailty are not recognised and we have therefore missed opportunities for early intervention. So key is identification. There are a whole host of tools that would need a podcast all to itself on identification of frailty. But I think the key ones to know about are the electronic frailty index, which is used in primary care, and it is auto-generated from GP coding. Um, So there's a whole host of things that are coded that are inputted into this frailty index and it gives you the likelihood of frailty. So it will kind of signpost to general practitioners who has the likelihood of being frail, but then they would need to look, use a clinical frailty scale to to sort of contextualise this. The clinical frailty scale is from Canada and that's a scale that is used probably most commonly in both primary and secondary care. And and what I think is important to note, Kenny, is I don't feel that frailty is a binary thing. And what I mean by that is it's not yes or no to frailty. Frailty is a continuum. In that score, we have mild, moderate and severe frailty. And going back to the healthcare costs, Midlothian actually have looked at data across their mild, moderate and frailty, um, those patients with mild, moderate and frailty and looked at the healthcare costs in terms of medication, admissions, etc. So so those are the, the, the key ones to know about. How it happens... Um, the clinical frailty scale is actually really easy to use. So it's got pictures and also a description. So so people can be trained very quickly to use that. Fantastic. Now, I've heard of another tool that you use, CGA. Can you tell me more about what it is? Comprehensive geriatric assessment, we call it CGA, is a holistic assessment of a person's medical, functional, social and psychological needs. And the cool thing is it's evidence-based. So we have got a um, Cochrane review of the effectiveness of the CGA. And, and what it is, is using a multidisciplinary, multi-agency team. So what I mean by that is physios, occupational therapists, frailty nurses, pharmacy, um, geriatrician, all looking at the patient and 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 making really a diagnosis of, of what's going on. So what are the issues that 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 we can help with? Looking at the prognosis about which bits they can change. So it, it and then looking and then really shared decision making with the patient and family regarding the interventions. And what I think is really important to say is it's not just one thing. It's a whole. Um, host of small things that can make a big difference. So analogy I use is if you've got an artist with a, a wonderful big painting and they are thinking what's going to make the difference to make this 
an amazing painting. And they may just add three daubs of color, but that will transform the whole painting. Um, and if we're to use this CGA analysis, um, it would be three artists making three daubs of color because that's often what we do working as a team. But for instance, you could give somebody a hearing aid which will increase their mood, which will engage them more in rehab and at the same time make a change to their medication and give them some physio. So, so it's the whole team working together using shared decision making, looking at the interventions. So Kenny, I think it's great that although the comprehensive geriatric assessment, it sounds it's not like giving one pill and making a difference. It's it's lots of people involved, but but there is evidence. So there was a Cochrane review in 2017 that showed that the older adults were more likely to be alive and in their own homes at follow up six months and a year, which which is great. And that gives us really powerful evidence to to say that we should be doing this. So what they drew back from this and they said the number of people you'd need to treat, so the number who would need a CGA to make this happen was 17, which doesn't sound a lot, does it? So there were nearly 14,000 people in these trials that they, it was multiple trials that they synthesized all the data. So I think that's key. And also there was a reduction in mortality and in the likelihood of institutional care. Thanks, Lara. So how is our organisation helping to deliver change across Scotland? At Healthcare Improvement Scotland, we have co-designed an improvement change package, which goes across health and social care. So it's it's integrated in approach. So we, we've, we've consulted with experts, we've co-designed, we've asked older adults, and they've all input into our framework to support frailty improvement initiatives. And it's really uh, that crosses three key primary drivers, which is identification of frailty, um, care coordination, and that leadership aspect of improvement. And I think it's important to know, um, Kenny, that the iHub are going to invite teams who are interested in frailty improvement to join our frailty improvement program in the spring of 2023. Um, it's also there as a resource. So there's loads of change ideas. So if you're thinking, oh, I want to dip into this, I'd like to know more about that. There's lots of change ideas that are all referenced there. So we're really interested to hear from teams who are working on frailty improvement and have got a story of improvement to tell. So we're really keen to hear from others. And we've got the HIS Frailty Learning System, which runs webinars. And you can access this on hiss.frailty at nhs.scot. Right, Lara, I'm turning the spotlight on you. What's the one thing that can be done for people in Scotland in order to make it easier to live well with frailty? So you're going to ask me for one thing. Well, yeah. I think the key thing is finding out what matters to them. And and that's going to be different in every person because we're all unique individuals. But actually, I've been a geriatrician. I've been a consultant for 20 years now. And, and the key things that I coming out for people is... So at the back of everybody's board in the Queen Elizabeth, there's a What Matters to Me board, which is a global movement. And and when someone comes in, it's one of my passions to 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 understand and know what matters to that patient. And and it's different in everybody, but the things that come up frequently are people's families and being at home. So we need to understand what matters to our older adults. And I think 
that then leads on to what changes and interventions we can make. That's brilliant, Lara. Thank you so much. Leona, Dr Mitchell has touched on some really interesting points there, especially in regards to the impact that frailty can have on someone's day-to-day -day life and confidence. Our next guest can tell us a wee bit more about this. Yes, absolutely, Kenny. I'm delighted to welcome Doug Anthony, Health and Wellbeing Manager at Age Scotland. Doug, thanks for joining us. I'd firstly like to ask you about Age Scotland. Could you tell us a little more about the organisation and the role it has in supporting people living with frailty? Of course. So prevention is a big focus for us. So um, older people with low levels of physical activity um, are at more risk of frailty. So what we're all about is encouraging and supporting people to become more active. And we focus on positive messages like, you know, the feel good benefits of moving more. And the great news that uh, we are able to build muscle throughout life, regardless of what age we're at. Um, so we work with both people who are retired, uh, but also people approaching retirement. So our, our remit is working with age 50 plus. Sure. Thanks, Doug. That, that's really interesting to hear. Um, living with frailty can be extremely challenging um, and can bring significant disruption to a person's life. Could you give us some examples of how someone's life might change and, and the impact this can have on their physical and mental health? Of course. So someone who's frail may not necessarily have a diagnosed health condition, um, but what they may have is weaker muscles. They might find they're more easily exhausted. And what frailty is, it's really the opposite of being resilient. If you're resilient, you can bounce back after a minor upset or a minor illness. If you're frail, something quite minor um, could actually floor you uh, and, and result in you your life changing for, for far the worse. So this can limit someone's ability to enjoy activities they used to. And that, of course, is going to have an impact on their mental and emotional well-being. It can make it harder for them to, to get out and about and socialise. Again, that makes somebody potentially feel more lonely and socially isolated. It might decrease their ability to contribute to their, their community and their families. And one of the things that researchers found is that purpose and meaning in life is really, really critical for, for somebody to actually, um, you know, have not just good health, but also your life expectancy. So if people are no longer able to give and long, no longer able to con contribute, then that can you know, really have a negative impact on them. And also it can affect someone's ability to manage day-to-day -day tasks, which can put at risk their independence. And most older people tell us that they, they really value the, the opportunity to stay uh, and live independently in their own home. Sure, a lot of challenges there to consider, Doug. Would it be fair to say that frailty's impact affects more than just the person at the centre of it, but also impacts onto their families, communities? Um, and if so, you know what, what might these effects be? Yes, it certainly does. So family members or friends may be called on to provide more support as someone becomes less able to manage day-to-day -day tasks. And there can be emotional challenges to, to watching a close family member or friend's life becoming more limited and potentially less full. Also, where older people become frail, society is robbed of their contribu contribution. So older people's volunteering is really of vital importance to communities. It's kind of the lifeblood very often. And a growing number of older people do work beyond state pension age, so they make a massive contribution. Now, for example, the pandemic has resulted in, in older people becoming more physically out of condition 
And we've heard from older people's community groups that we support that not only are some members not returning to you know, the regular meetings and activities they used to attend, but also they've lost some of their key older volunteers, which is a major challenge. Sure. Uh, thank you, Doug. This has been a really interesting discussion. Lastly, if I could just ask you what, in your opinion, is the one thing that could be implemented across Scotland to improve the lives of people living with frailty? Well, right now, for people living with mild to moderate frailty, we really need to invest as a nation in the community groups and services that offer inclusive physical activity opportunities that are attractive, fun and social. You know, these groups and services can get to know each individual, their individual needs, what is required to motivate and support them. They are best placed to help older people set and achieve health and well-being goals, working around whatever constraints society and their circumstances might have set for them. And I think it's also really important, um, if I can add something else, that in health and, and care settings such as hospitals, uh, when people are staying there for a period, there is a real focus on encouraging and supporting people who can to keep physically active so they don't leave hospital with less mobility, strength and balance than when they went in. Excellent. Many, many thanks, Doug. Now that we've heard from Doug and have a better understanding of how frailty impacts those affected by it, our next guest will be able to give us some insight on working with frailty from the front line. I'm pleased to welcome Catherine Allen, Lead Elderly Care Assessment Nurse from NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde. Welcome Catherine, it's great to have you with us today. If I could start off our chat today just by asking you a bit more about your work, what it entails and how you support people living with frailty. Yeah, so I work at the busy front door of the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Glasgow. I work as part of a frailty team and we identify older frail adults as soon as possible in their hospital journey. I work as a team that includes nurses, practitioners and physios and occupational therapists and we make it our job to find out exactly what has brought a patient into hospital and start a comprehensive geriatric assessment. We have the time and the skills to talk to patients and their carers and relatives to try and get a full picture of what ex exactly has led to their admission um, and how they've been managing leading up to it. Another um, important part of my job is around about education. Sometimes that's to staff members about um, identifying and treating frailty and delirium and other times it's to patients and their family members because it can be really scary for people when they see their mum or their granny super confused or sleepy when they're generally quite well and able. I think that the information about older adults when they come into hostel can be inaccurate and have a lot of assumptions and by getting the comprehensive geriatric assessment we can often get people home um, with additional supports or referrals to um, reduce their hospital stay. Thanks Catherine, some really interesting information there. You've obviously got a lot of first-hand experience of working with those affected by frailty. Can you maybe talk me through some of the real-life examples of the, the impact of frailty that you've come across in your work? Sure, yeah I think the biggest thing that people living with frailty experience is that a small illness can have a big impact on all as aspects of their lives and that even when that illness is improved they can still be recovering from um, reduced function for a long time. A simple infection can cause changes to mobility, it can cause falls and confusion as well and patients aren't always able to tell us what is different for them and so unless someone takes the time to find it out it can be difficult to treat them. Thanks Catherine and just the final question for you 
How big an impact do you think the issue of frailty has on the NHS, particularly at this time of unprecedented crisis? Oh, I think that the impact of frailty on the NHS is huge. We have more and more older adults living with frailty and when they become unwell, they often need specialist support from a range of healthcare professionals um, to get them better. Furthermore, most departments in the NHS will have a cohort of patients who are frail and some departments will have loads and loads. It's no secret that our hospitals um, and services are under huge amounts of pressure, as are our colleagues in social care. People living with frailty um, usually need to use all of these services. Um, so, like I said before, the impact's huge. Clearly a lot of challenges there, Catherine. Thank you very much. We now have a pretty comprehensive picture of the impact of frailty, namely the challenges and pressures it presents. To elaborate on them further, I'd like to hand over to Stephen Ferguson from our team here at Healthcare Improvement Scotland to lead a roundtable discussion on the subject. Stephen, over to you. Welcome to our roundtable discussion on frailty in Scotland. I'd like to welcome back Dr. Lara Mitchell, National Clinical Lead for Acute Care Frailty and a consultant geriatrician from NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde. Thanks for joining us again, Lara. And I'm delighted to welcome Professor Graham Ellis, Deputy Chief Medical Officer, advising the Scottish Government on matters relating to frailty. Welcome to you both. Graham, can I start with you? Is frailty becoming a bigger issue across Scotland compared with earlier in your career? Or are we just more focused on the issue now? Yeah, good question, Stephen. So if I can try and put that in context, in 2020, there were approximately a million people over the age of 65. Now, that's just under 20% of the population. But by 2040, that will be 1.4 million or 25% of the Scottish population. So in other words, one in four people walking around will be over 65. Now, in that same time frame, the number of over 85s, the oldest old, will in fact double which is a good thing. It's certainly better than the alternative. But to try and illustrate the impact of that, currently around 40% of admissions to hospital are the over 65s, and they occupy two-thirds of all our hospital beds, and over three-quarters of the delays that are mentioned in the press are older people who are waiting for care. So if you like, older people are our biggest hospital customer, but it's not just a hospital issue. So over 70s generally have three or more chronic health conditions and for that they will require more medications than the average population which means they have more appointments with our health and our social care system so they are in fact the biggest users of health and social care but frailty which is what you asked about that interplay of age chronic disease and fitness is actually related to age in lots of ways and to the number of conditions you have. But there's predicted to be in just a 10 year period, a 50% increase in the number of people who are categorized as frail. And frailty is multilateral. So it's not just a medical issue, it's about self-care, independence, health, mental health, and carers. So there is a, a growing uh, number of people who are older, at risk, and potentially frail. And we need to consider that when we plan our health and care services. That's interesting. So it's it's a, it's a complex picture that you're painting there. Um, let's let's try and bring it back to real people and the impact of frailty on real people. 
Lara, can I ask you about your experience of, of how frailty affects people um, and what that journey is like for them, both within that domestic home setting and what it's like being in an acute hospital setting? Sure. Um, thanks, Stephen. So I've been a consultant for 20 years and, and a large part of what I've been doing over the last 10 years is setting up frailty services at the front door. And what we know is that older adults often present in a crisis and it's that transition of care from primary to secondary care um, that's really important to try and get in there early to try and maximise independence. And, and that might be through a variety. So to, to bring it back to the person, what may happen is somebody's out in the community, things are put in place, maybe they're known to their GP service, and then something happens. So often it is a fall. So people present with a fall, but the reason why they've fallen, they may have had a, a small insult, which is what I talked about earlier. So they may have developed a urinary tract infection or a chest infection. They've had a fall and they present to secondary care. And the key thing when they come in that transition of care is identifying that they're frail early on in the journey and, and making a difference by accessing that comprehensive geriatric assessment, that whole team of people who can make small changes to, to make a big change to that individual. And, and, and looking at the suite of options, so looking at how we can maintain them at home for being as independent as possible, potentially having more rehabilitation at home, so reablement. We've got hospital at home, we've got ambulatory care. And in some people, they may need to stay in hospital a bit longer, but we know that being in hospital longer than you need to brings harm. So just for example, a week in hospital will, you'll lose five to 10% of your muscle mass. So, and we don't want to expose people to hospital acquired infections, depersonalization of being in hospital. So at the front door, we're trying to identify and get the team to assess a patient to, to, to make an individualized care plan for that patient. That's, that's interesting. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about um, the, the impact on people? I mean, there must be. So a lot of what you're doing is very much focused on um, how can you map out the right care pathway for people. But there must be instances of people that you've encountered, maybe people that you're treating at the moment where you find that um, the, the, those human stories stay with you. Is, is, is that the case? Can you give us a sense of what that, what it feels like to be somebody who's experiencing frailty and the impact on, on family members? So, so it's interesting because when people come into hospital, what we want to do is deliver personalized care. And, and often what teams tell us, people tell us is that they want to be at home and they want to be at home for as long as possible and they want to be connected to family. Now, now for some of our patients, they can't actually, if they come in with confusion, um, what we call a delirium, which is a fluctuating confusion, or, or indeed they've got dementia. That's why we need the specialist team to assess um, and find out the history of what's gone on and contact family. And that information will give us um, powerful ways of, of trying to deliver that individualized care. That's interesting. So it's a balance between the two. There, there, there are certain things that you find work in terms of the care that you deliver, but you've got to find the thing that's right for that individual. Absolutely, yeah. 
That's that's fascinating. Um, can, can we move on slightly to, um, so um, you're both involved in looking at frailty to a certain extent from a, a strategic perspective in terms of what happens across Scotland. Graham, can I ask you, because we, we, we interviewed, I interviewed you a number of years ago. Uh, we did a short video um, and I'm remembering some of the things that we spoke about then uh, in terms of what you were working on. In terms of where you're at just now, what is the difference? What What is it that you're looking to do at a strategic level uh, and, and, and how does that relate to uh, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? So when we last met, Stephen, I was very much focused on hospital systems. How can we get better hospital systems? That's how can you identify people early, stream them to the specialist services that provide that multilateral, multidisciplinary assessment and do that in a way that reduces the waste of time spent in hospital. It gets people back where they want to be as soon as they possibly can. And, and there's ways you can configure acute care to do that. So we want to make sure that we standardize a lot of that across the country, that wherever you go, whatever hospital you're in, you get the best of care available. But I think we also need to look upstream. We need to look at what alternatives are there to hospital. Can we provide that level of multidimensional care for an acute condition in your own home and reduce the risk that you fall, you become confused or you become disorientated or more dependent because of the hospital environment. But better still, can we move further upstream and look at ways, can we keep you independent? Can we keep you functioning for as long as possible in your own home without needing to escalate your care needs to hospital? So we're trying to look at whole systems across the piece. Lara, can you tell us a bit more about, because uh, you're also working from a strategic perspective, but you're also working as a geriatrician too. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, the work that you're doing within Healthcare Improvement Scotland and how you feel that relates to your day-to-day -day job? Yeah, so we're, we're looking to improve frailty across the piece, across primary and secondary care. And one of our main theme is this integration. So previously we've worked a little separately thinking about hospital approach care to frailty and then the community hospital approach. And what we're trying to do is really integrate the two to make it more seamless. Now, we've, we need to do this because people come in and out of care. So we need to be able to be flexible about that. One of the big things that I think we haven't touched on yet is that prevention. So empowering citizen health, empowering population to start thinking about how they're going to grow old. I mean, we are all older adults in training. So we need to be thinking really upstream, how are we going to do this by strength and balance, nutrition, being connected to others. So and, and actually being positive about aging, Stephen, can actually increase your life expectancy. I don't know if you know that. Um, so it, it's good to have a positive approach to, 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 to aging. Um, and what we're about at Healthcare Improvement Scotland is maintaining independence, that healthy aging for as long as possible. So for example, the average age for a woman is 87 years, but actually for healthy living, that starts to become impaired at age 77. So, so we need to be able to try and shift that longer, further down the line. Mm, that's that's interesting, uh, Graham. Um, we're just. Uh, what are your thoughts there around um, how we actually uh, make sure that people are healthier for longer, but also have a positive attitude towards aging? Is that part of your the work that you're doing with Scottish government? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's an exciting conversation to have. I think, as Lara said, that aging is a life course issue. If you want to age well and stay healthy, then it means that we need to look at midlife and even earlier, potentially, how can we keep people active, exercising, 
And obviously issues like diet and smoking need addressed, but exercise is maybe one of the biggest ones. And in that way, we can potentially prevent some of the chronic diseases that affect in later life. So many of the risk factors for dementia are actually preventable with things like exercise, reducing smoking, safe levels of alcohol intake and so on. So there are things that we can do through the course of a life. Then I think that there's the stage where anticipation is helpful. So that's issues around having honest conversations with family about what you want to happen, if your health were to change, if your independence were to change, and putting in place just practical measures such as a power of attorney or anticipated care plans that say, this is what I want in my life. But we also need to look at how can we support the community to be able to intervene in a multidisciplinary fashion when things become a problem, even in the early stages or in, in minor illness? How can we get ahead of problems and prevent them escalating and leading to a worsening care or even uh, a need to go into hospital care? And, and what I think could be exciting is, is playing the role of the geriatrician into that community discussion. So we're having discussions around getting it right for everyone, which is that person-centered, values-based, multi-agency team trying to get ahead of problems, anticipate their needs. So I think there's a really exciting conversation to be had because we're in a place now where I think we can start to change the way in which we do that and the way in which we can help people age. Thank you. That, that That's really fascinating. Uh, and it would be interesting to explore that at a later date to talk more about uh, what healthy aging actually looks like and how we make that, that kind of cultural change. But the last um, main area that I'd like us to focus on is, is what does good care look like and what tools are available uh, that can be used within our hospitals um, and what happens in terms of uh, safe discharge and what happens within the community. Um, Lara, anything you want to say around um, just what work has been undertaken in order to identify what good care is and how we spread that across the country? So Stephen, it's much of what we've touched on already in our conversations and then the key thing in our program of work that we're going to be launching in in March um, with Healthcare Improvement Scotland is that you, you mentioned in hospitals. So it's that identification piece about frailty, knowing as soon as possible at that transition, who is frail, who is going to benefit from this holistic, person-centered, comprehensive geriatric assessment, which is multidisciplinary, multi-agency, and working towards that home first, getting it right first time for, for every patient, and then translating that into the community. Again, it's about the identification. It's it's the same themes are going to come up. The identification, those that would benefit from a comprehensive geriatric assessment, having access to that, looking at all areas um, with the multidisciplinary team. Great, thank you. Uh, Graham, your thoughts? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think Laura's pointed out that the earlier that we can identify people, the sooner we can make sure that they avoid harm. This is the most vulnerable group coming through our hospitals. And it also means we can target appropriate care. So in the ED, that might mean the emergency department, that might mean that we can support your discharge in a creative way, or we can identify that you need to move to a specialty ward. And, and the hospital that I used to work in, the team have done exciting work to set up a frailty unit so that patients move direct from the emergency department to the frailty unit. So that cut down the delay on waiting on specialist care from over 24 hours to, to around about four hours from the time you arrive. 
And we know from work we did across Scotland in an audit that uh, any one day delay in a waiting specialty bed added three days onto your total length of stay. So there's something about being active and, and early in terms of identifying people who are frail. But you do know, of course, I'm going to say that the best kind of hospital is a hospital you don't need to go into at all, where we could deliver the specialist care to you in your own house. It's the kind of care that own royalty normally get. But I think that's possible because it's possible to mobilize a multidisciplinary team to provide the same level of diagnostics and intervention and treatments, but without the need for that big building and the routines and the confusing numbers of staff and the noise at night and all these things that can add confusion and, and loss of dependence to older people. So I think that there are exciting opportunities for us to do and innovate the way we deliver care. Fascinating. Thank you very much. And just in order to conclude, uh, just anything that you feel you've not had the opportunity to say uh, in the conversation today that you think would be interesting for our audience to know about uh, frailty, the impact of frailty, or what's happening across the country. Graeme, uh, I'll start with you. One of the questions you asked at the beginning was very interesting, what does it feel like to be frail? And it's something about losses. It's that, that risk of losing your independence, your health, your autonomy, that's very hard for an individual. And I think one of the things we have to be careful, people never lose is their voice. So for me, I think what I'd love to see in healthcare, and I think we are seeing this, is that we're getting more personalized in the way in which we deliver care. So we're asking people what matters to them and we're listening to it and we're acting on it. Because I think that we're often far too paternalistic, not meaning to be, but we're quite often focused on our systems and what we can do rather than actually, what do you really want? And what can we do about that? So I think that would be something I'd love to see going forward, because I think that's what older people deserve. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Lara, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, if I can add to that, actually, as an example. So I think this co-design with older adults is absolutely key. And that's really a priority for us at Healthcare Improvement Scotland. And personally, um, in our frailty service at the Queen Elizabeth, which we set up as a team in 2015, we, we, we had all the people in place in the team. And then we realized we actually hadn't really consulted with people using the service. And I think it really helped us look at things from how they experienced it. Like for them, a big thing was the environment. They came in this huge hospital, these massive corridors, these blank walls. And, and what we did is, is we changed things within our service with their suggestions and advice. And so, and so that made a big difference um, to our service. So I think, and, and a meaningful co-design with our older adults. I think changing the, Changing the language as well, Stephen, is really important when we talk about older adults. They should be a priority. And I suppose that's my second point is about leadership. Older adults need to be high on the agenda. And I think they are in Scotland, which is really exciting to see. And it's building a momentum. So I'm, I'm passionate about the care of older adults. And I'm looking forward to how that's going to frame out in the next 10 years having them high on the agenda it's exciting that we've got our deputy cmo graham ellis um, as a geriatrician where he is in scottish government uh, thank you to you both that's been a really interesting conversation i think we've covered a lot of ground and i think there's uh, a lot of things clearly happening across scotland for us all to be excited about in delivering the best care possible in terms of people with frailty but also as we highlighted earlier in terms of keeping people healthier for much longer um, so that frailty doesn't become such a, a big impact on their lives as they get older. 
Grave Ellis, thank you very much. Lara, thank you very much indeed. Thanks thank so you, much, Stephen. Stephen. It was lovely to be part of it. That's all we have for you this time. Thanks for listening to today's episode on frailty, the impact it has on people's lives and the challenges it presents to our health and social care services. Join us for our next episode looking at the regulation of private health care, what you should know before booking yourself into a private cosmetic procedure and our experts' thoughts on the future of private health care. If you'd like to keep up with our work at Healthcare Improvement Scotland, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and on Facebook or visit our website to subscribe to our monthly newsletter. We look forward to welcoming you back in a month's time. Goodbye. Thank you.